Yes, thank you, Larry. Beautiful. So, um, who here knows Silent Night? Would you remind us, just in case some people don't? You can sing along. We'll sing it later, but you can sing along now. what memories or visions that brings up for you whether you have uh, some something attached to that song I grew up um, in the Episcopalian church I think I've told you this and I sang in the choir from the age of six. It's a very different view of where children should be during church service. We actually had a job. We were in front, and the children's choir sang. So I have a very clear memory of learning the alto part and singing it. And I have a memory of, um, in the Episcopal Church, they have those kneelers that, that go up and down, so that sound, that whomp, is in my head because it means we had to get up. I can still feel it in my knees and kind of kick it forward so it would go whomp and then stand and sing it. You may not have a memory that's that specific. And we do hear it so much that the memories become less clear. But I, I really was moved by Mike Monroe's memory of it, what it served in his life, and the rapper, family, a family treasure. So it's obvious, if you haven't caught on, that we're talking about Silent Night, because this is the 200th anniversary of it as a song. Two years earlier is when it was composed as a poem. But it was sung on Christmas Eve, so Joseph Moore was the pastor. No, he was Catholic, so he was um, father. Not pastors is a Protestant word for clergy. Anyway, it was in his church in Oberndorf, and he had befriended um, a schoolmaster, Franz Gruber. 
and they were good friends. And um, he said, I, I have this poem. I wrote it two years ago, and it would be great if we could sing it on Christmas Eve. So indeed, yeah, I, I think there are so many myths now. I doubt he composed it that day. There are other stories that say he just asked during December. But anyway, the poem was set to music. And the worship service happened. It wasn't sung during the worship service. It was sung at the end. And there was a, a crash, a nativity scene. And it was set for guitar. So Franz Gruber and Joseph Moore stood in front of the nativity scene and sang Silent Night for the first time in 1818 on Christmas Eve. And we break the Austrian tradition. And they're right, sing it all over the place, sing it today. And there's a whole mythology that they did it on guitars because the organ was broken and miraculously they were able to do it on guitar. Nah, nah. <laughs> it was originally. But what, what interested me is, so 1818, or really, let's back up, because it was written, the sentiment, the, the impulse happened in 1816. And what was going on then in Austria and in Europe in general is the end of the Napoleonic Wars. So Joseph Moore had witnessed in Salzburg and throughout Austria when he moved with the church all the death and destruction and uncertainty and the shifting alliances. Um, Salzburg, parts of Salzburg were burned. So I imagine that the Napoleonic Wars had just ended and it had been a summer of a lot of destruction and he wrote it around Christmas time. And what I imagine the song to be was, you know, you've, you've held all your muscles tight because something awful is going on and you finally can go, oh, I imagine Silent Night is that big sigh of, oh, the world is not always going to be at war. I am not always going to be afraid. And because he was a religious man, I should tell you a little bit more about why he's a religious man, but I will. Um, but because he is a religious man, he expresses it as, oh, I understand what this birth of Jesus means, that it, it is that, oh, peace is possible. And it can be possible in one person. So Joseph Moore was born in... Uh, poverty. He was born out of wedlock, so he was shunned, poor, and the church noticed that he had talents, intelligent musical talents. And so the church nurtured him, gave him an education. So in part, I also think Silent Night is uh, honoring all the opportunities that he had to step out of what could have been a pretty austere and shunned existence in Salzburg. 
but instead he got an education, learned how to read music and write poetry, play the guitar. I was going to mention one other thing. If we think the, what's going on with Brexit and the European Union is complicated, well, this end of the Napoleonic Wars is a similar, no, not similar, uh, on a, a much larger scale, countries and rulers and trade and uh, power struggles in not only the European landmass, but Russia, England. Somehow I find comfort that the world has been crazier <laughs> 200 years ago than it is now. And my sigh of relief doesn't have to be quite so big. I've given you the lyrics of the poem in both German and England, English. I just want you to know that it has gone through many iterations. So it wasn't instantly famous at all. Like the Von Trapp family, there were a whole series of families that in the Tyrolean area of Germany that um, rose up singing and touring the world. So this song was kind of passed on from one parish to another for a few years, and then one of these singing families, you're lucky, Joe, we're not a singing family, um, toured Germany, included this in its repertoire. It finally got printed in one of the Catholic hymnals, and then they went to New York in uh, 1839. And so it was first sung over here then. Still not a big hit. But over time, they traveled all over the United States, and the song caught on, was put in other hymnals, Methodist, Presbyterian. So that by the time World War I did happen, that incident of a momentary truce in the trenches. Silent Night was the song, supposedly, that they both, both sides knew was the one that began to unify them, made them come out of their, or, or feel comfortable enough, feel the peace that Joseph Moore was trying to capture in the song, and came out of the trenches and shook hands and drank and smoked and played soccer and, you know, all those peaceful things you do. But then go back in and turn around and become enemies again. Peace is not long-lived. I didn't know this, and I'm still trying to verify it, that it's famous enough by 1941 that Churchill and Roosevelt sang it together on the patio of the White House. I was hoping there were newsreels of it, 
but it doesn't seem to be recorded. Who really made it famous was Bing Crosby. He first recorded it in 1935 and then said, you know, I really am not comfortable making something commercial that is so religious. So it wasn't put out until he finally put out a Christmas album in 1942, so right in the midst of, of World War II. So it continues to have rub elbows with war and be a, a salve. That's the word I want, a salve. I'm sure Joseph has this experience of you create something, all artists, you create something and you never know where it will go. Who will take it and what will become of it and how it will be changed and transformed. The tune was changed, the words were changed. They lopped off three verses. You know, we have a short attention span. That's why I wanted you to see all six. So my, my wish for you is that you find a neighbor. And I'm going to give you three or four minutes to tell each other whether you have any memories or connections to Silent Night. Go. One more minute.
Okay, come back. I want to be in every one of these conversations, which is why we have cookies and coffee afterwards so you can finish your stories. I know some of you had good ones. And it's, it's memory and repetition and connection to history and a broader community that that kind of piece of music can do for us. So then I started looking up nostalgia because I thought it's such a nostalgic song and is everywhere. So I learned that nostalgia was a term coined way back in 1688 by a Scottish physician. And it was considered, he was looking into, again, war, um, the homesickness that soldiers felt while at war. And he called that nostalgia and considered it um, really a, a state of dysfunction, a serious mental problem. But over time, it's become associated with sadness and regret and eventually beauty and can get a little treacly, a little too sweet. Most recently, sociologists and psychologists and others have been looking into, well, does nostalgia serve a purpose? Is it everyone seems to have moments of nostalgia? In fact, they've discovered that it is something that everyone experiences, even someone as young as seven years old can feel nostalgia. We should think about that when we're separating children at the border, about homesickness and nostalgia. I, um, I missed Sing Noel last Sunday, and I'm sorry I did, but I was doing the mom thing and went to hear my daughter who has graduated from college. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That passageway, yes. But it was a nostalgic trip for me because she started at OU but then ended up going to the college where I went in western Massachusetts. And so as much as I was there for her, I was also going, hmm, These buildings are looking a little shabby. And these were just saplings, and now they're big trees. How did that happen? And I I discovered the outdoors there, so the the mountain range behind it, Mount Holyoke, speaks to me. And just the whole Connecticut Valley speaks to me. It was a nostalgic, and I, I had to keep my mouth shut. I kept wanting to make comments when really it was about my daughter, but it was all about me, you know. How that works. But I want to make a point that, so the sociologists and psychologists say that nostalgia is, is a coping tool for dealing with loneliness and boredom and anxiety. And that it is a tool that reconnects us with others and reconnects us with history. So it's a good thing. Our singing Silent Night is a good thing. What I love about the human being is that we can, we time travel. We live in a million different times. We've already talked about 
the Napoleonic Wars, and then you're making your grocery list, what you're going to do after church, you're in the future, you're in the past, you're maybe here. And the nostalgia is one of those gifts of wanting a time when things were different and better, and I would say has the capacity to call forth your better self. When I was a child, when I was a college student, when I was strong and healthy, when I was... All those nostalgic moments are actually a spiritual tool. It's what we're always doing. The reason we say the same words over and over again, the reason we sing Christmas carols over and over again is for a certain amount of nostalgia that, yes, is legitimate and helpful and calls, you know, the Quakers would call it the divine inner light, the spark. The, the Buddhists would call it your, your inner Buddha, your, your sense of compassion and openness to the world, and that nostalgia has that capacity to call you to your better self. Because all we're doing here together is ultimately walking each other home. May it be so.